Hey guys, welcome back to the Training Make Podcast. This is episode 16. I'm joined with Max Ada, the flat shoe squatting extraordinaire. Uh, if you've ever seen him squat in in some... What are, what are your shoes that you squat in usually? Air Monarchs. That's right. The Air Monarch. That's the number one selling Nike shoe in the world. Really? How could that many people be wrong? Okay, well, there you go. It's just a numbers <laughs> thing at this point. Well, if you guys have been listening, the podcast has taken a little bit of a turn here, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on my Instagram um, with people saying they love the show, they love the, the way it's set up. So we're going to keep doing that. We're going to pick a topic. We're going to have a pointed discussion. Um, we'll have you know opening statements from both Max and I, and we'll we'll try to poke and prod around with what each person says. Uh, and today the topic of discussion is how to become a weightlifting coach. Now I know a lot of you out there are probably already set in your profession and you don't want to become a weightlifting coach. So this episode, we're still going to try to provide value in what has brought Max and I success or relative success in the weightlifting world. Um, so hopefully there's some pertinent info for everyone and Max, I'm going to kick it over to you for your opening statement, what can someone do to become a weightlifting coach? Well, I think, I think the first step, the, the sort of overarching theme here is going to be about the balance of experience, actually getting out in the field and doing it and the educational side. And I always say, Chad always says the same stuff that there's three things you have to look for in a coach to know that you have a good coach, uh, or there's really three components that make up an excellent coach. Uh, and everybody should have at least two of these uh, prerequisites satisfied. Those three things are the person has to have done it themselves. They have to have participated in weightlifting. You have to have done weightlifting on some level. doesn't mean you have to be good, but it means you have to have done everything within your power to become good. You have to have pursued it. Two, you have to have some kind of formal education, right? You have to have some kind of, of uh, uh, education in the subject. It doesn't have to be from a university or, or a, a school, but it has to be some kind of structured uh, you know, mentorship or structured kind of learning process. Maybe you, you adhere to a certain um, you know, uh, author or several authors or you know, not just cherry picking the the latest article you see on Facebook, but actually reading a lot about every subject involved in the sport, reading a lot about you know the science of training, reading a lot about you know coaching itself. And then third, you have to have proven that you can do it with somebody else. You have to have taken somebody else to the level that that they can get to, to the highest level. Now that's that doesn't mean that you just grab a, a you know you don't just set up a club and wherever and recruit some top person slap your name on it and ask for your international status uh, coaching certificate and and bing bang boom you know actually do it it doesn't mean you have to bring somebody from the absolute bottom to the top you know not every single coach is going to be the same some people work great with kids some people work great with intermediate lifters some people work great with one lifter one on one for four years at a time, and that's their thing. But you have to have proven you can do your thing, your specialty, bringing somebody up to the top level that you are capable of. Uh, and so as a coach, your goal should be to try and fulfill those three 
prerequisites on your path to becoming a coach. So you're not a coach yet. You got to start filling those three things out. So Max, what about your own particular scenario? Like what, what have you learned? Um, what, what sort of life lessons have you learned to kind of get you to where you're, you know, I imagine at some point in your life, you weren't happy with the place you were in. Right? <laughs> Just, it, it happens to everyone. Yeah. So, you know, what I, what I learned as in my process, getting to the level of coaching skill that I'm at now, um, which, which, you know, is what it is. Uh, I would say the, the biggest lessons I've learned are, are really relating back to those three things. It was always a matter for me of, of being unsatisfied or dissatisfied with my own progress as an athlete, uh, that, that led me to constantly investigate, uh, constantly read. I remember when I was even lifting, you know, when I started lifting, I was very well aware of all the, the training information that was out there. When I, when I started, I, I would read every single book I could get. I would buy every single book. I read all the rule books, you know, I, I it was just a thing. Like I've got to know as much as I can know because there's going to be something in there that helps me. Uh, and I think one of the mistakes I made, one of the sort of places that I, that I faltered that I don't think happens as much now, but there wasn't that much, uh, really good information out there. And what was out there was taken as gospel, you know, uh, and, and at the time, I mean, uh, probably early two thousands, maybe late nineties, 99, maybe uh, elite FTS testosterone nation. Those guys came out. Uh, and that was like, people looked at that shit back then and was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, and you know, if you look at it now, I mean, the FTS is, is, is trash information for the most part. Yeah, it's like a dinosaur it's just, now. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I mean, just like the, everything was derived from West side and you read through it and you read through people's understanding explanation of it. And you're just like, this is wholly so far off base, but also just like, there's nothing here that people really don't understand what they're doing. Right. And, and that was the point where it was like, or not the point, but that that's where you can see like my mistake was thinking that because someone writes it on the internet or because someone wrote it or someone is stronger than you or someone has done this or that and they explain it, it doesn't make it right at all. And in fact, it's the opposite. I mean, most of what, you know, a lot of was coming out then was just not good information. And it's not necessarily to blame the people doing it. That's the best they knew at the time. But my biggest mistake was probably thinking that those were those were you know great that was great information um and, and getting stuck in that what did you, where did you go to college i didn't go to college i went where? to uh montana state university for three weeks uh and uh, i interned there as a i interned as a in the strength uh, and conditioning department in the uh because that was where the weightlifting club was and i knew the guy who was the head strength coach and he was like well you can intern here and i'll get you a a deal for a like a tuition waiver kind of thing like a you know small help and i went for a few weeks and uh i went for one week longer than my father went to college so i beat him by a week he went <laughs> he went for two weeks uh and i just wasn't it wasn't my thing i did had no interest in it i knew it wasn't what i wanted to do yeah. um it was just not not my thing so so then after college what was your process like you're like i my was still focused on being a weightlifter at the time you know i like I, the best possible weightlifter yeah, you could be i wanted to i wanted to be a really good weightlifter i wanted to do it it was just super important to me 
Uh, and that, that process really kind of unfolded to be a very eye-opening experience. I think it's great that I failed miserably at it um, because it's the best, you know, it's the best way to learn that to, to learn things in life is to fail, uh, you know, spectacularly uh, and find out that, holy shit, like this is just not, you know, life's much harder than this. Uh, you can't just wish something and will something and want it really bad and it happens for you. Uh, you have to have certain things and you also have to be willing to do things that, you know, uh, maybe are really uncomfortable. Like you have to learn to become a better athlete and, or, or a better uh, learn to understand the sport or learn how to train or do things very much outside the comfort zone. I think a lot of people think that the process is fall in love with something, push yourself really hard and you'll get there. But it's usually a very different kind of thing. You have to do things that are tedious and difficult and very, very much outside the realm of exciting to get good at it, you know, uh, and, and, you know, it taught me a lot of that. I think it's interesting that a lot of people, I mean, a lot of their success comes from failure and like a certain point in their life where, like I've seen it in so many different people, but where a certain point in their life where they decide that where they're going is not the direction that they thought they were going to be going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they decide to, to, to make a change and it's usually based off of some sort of failure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of it was, was I ended up getting really severely injured. So I couldn't, I couldn't continue. And, and that kind of pushed me into the role of coaching and that's where I ended up. Uh, you know, I wanted to be part of the sport and I was really important to me. Uh, and so I, I kept pursuing coaching, but, uh, I think probably even early on, I, I, I probably knew that I was going to be a coach. Um, just because there was so much interest in it. And I always kind of visualize, visualize myself as later on in, in, in life coaching, you know, I wasn't ever thinking there was some other, I wasn't ever thinking there was a plan B. It was just, I'm going to be a weightlifting coach. Am I going to be a weightlifting coach who works at Starbucks, you know, to live, or am I going to be a weightlifting coach who works at, you know, uh, works as some kind of gym owner or something like that. It was always like, first thing is weightlifting coach. Second thing is a job to support myself. Right. Uh, I think I'm lucky enough now that that those two things uh, coincide. So it's it's interesting that you say that you want to you would either be a weightlifting coach uh, working at a Starbucks or a weightlifting coach working at a gym, whatever whatever it was you were a weightlifting coach first, or at least that's what your your goal was. Um, and it's interesting because I kind of had the same situation. Uh, I was in strength and conditioning. Uh, and it didn't work out for me. And I took, I took a step back, uh, into, uh, you know, I, I had to make money somehow. And so what I started doing was personal training, which for anyone who, who has been in the strength and conditioning world with, you know, NSCA, CSCS, uh, certifications and, uh, CSCCA, which is a really difficult certification to get when you, take a step back into the private world and you decide to personal train every day, you know, gym goers, it's a definitely a step back. But for me, it was like, okay, well, I want to pursue weightlifting as an athlete and as a coach, but I got to pay the bills somehow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah, for sure. And, and w- w- was that your mindset when you 
Yeah, I mean, you it was, were like, man, fuck Montana State. <laughs> I mean, it was always that. It was always that in the beginning because you know, no one, no one knew what was going to happen with CrossFit and everything growing and, and exploding and all that. Uh, and and I kind of, I kind of say all this now, not to tell all the young kids about how I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to go train. Uh, and how hard it was, but more that my perception of coaching, and I think everyone up until the most recent years has had the same perception of coaching. Coaching was something you did because, or weightlifting was something you did because you you genuinely had an absolute love and passion for it, that you would put it above and beyond other things in your life, like like making money or having a job or free time. It's like that was a thing you were obsessed with, that's what you wanted. And I think now what you have, and, and, and you know, this kind of all goes back to that, those three prerequisites. I, I, there's a term now that gets thrown around a lot, which just drives me nuts because it's totally stupid. But um, this idea of like clout, having some sort of like reputation or having some sort of you're an influencer, or you're somebody special because you have pictures on the Internet and people that have no idea what's going on in the real world see you as being an expert. Uh, so, so what, what my whole thing was, is that there was no shortcut to those things. You just kind of waded through trash and shit for years until you finally got to the point where you were good enough. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you found that you satisfied those three prerequisites after a certain number of years of doing it. Anymore now, I think there's this belief that there's a shortcut to that. If you post enough pictures of other people doing squats, other people doing things successfully, and you comment on it, and you tell everybody how they're doing it right or how they're doing it wrong, then you can become famous for being the squat guy. And that's not, you didn't do shit. Like, you're the same fucking armchair expert that's existed for decades, forever, that didn't do anything. That's just standing there telling everyone about it. But you're you're circumventing the did it yourself and the I did it with somebody else method, right? Uh, prerequisites, right? So you end up with this. I'm only formally educated, but I can throw up a bunch of other people's stuff and ride those coattails to be to be perceived as an expert as a coach. Um, and I think to become a coach is different than to become what I think a lot of people see coaches as now. So the whole reason I'm saying all that is, and kind of going over that that point of like it was always a matter of coaching as a priority, coaching as a thing, is because, you know, that's that's a very different avenue to a – that's a very different thing to become than what I think people see coaching as now. Yeah, I, I have an experience kind of with um, with literally teaching weightlifters – um, from, from CrossFit, that's really unlike a lot of people who, who want to be coaches. Um, I, I, I had a full-time job as a CrossFit coach, which is a very kind of a weird thing to have. Like, um, I was being paid not hourly. I was being paid a salary and it was down in the city of Chicago. And so obviously it wasn't enough money for me to survive down there, but I did it because it was an avenue to where I could train for weightlifting uh, and train for the American Open back in 2015. And 
one of the things that this is this is what molded me as a coach. I uh, I had to teach people who had no place snatching and clean and jerking how to snatch and clean and jerk, and I had to teach people who were nine to fivers how to snatch and clean and jerk, and I had to do it every week, multiple times a week. I I did this, you know, the onboarding, and I had to write the onboarding pro, uh, process, and part of the the thing was like we had a day dedicated to the snatch and the clean and jerk and so by the time I was through with this place I had taught 300 people how to snatch and clean and jerk and so I had a I I had all of the faults that people were doing I already knew the solution to or I had created one never once did I think oh man you know what have the greats said you know how how is Ilya Ilyan going to be doing this? You know, it was always just like, you're not doing that right. So here's my solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. I never looked at anyone else or anything else. And that to me was like, if, if, if you can't see yourself doing that as a coach, like, why do you want to, do you really want to coach? Because like, like how well can you work with someone and just say like, explain the concepts of the snatch to them and what their body can be doing and what tricks do you have to get their body to be doing the right thing so that their mind doesn't overthink and that they're not thinking about a million cues as they're pulling. Like, how can you interact with someone? And I think that right there is where I've always been skilled and I've been seriously practiced in that realm. Um, yeah. I, I, would you say that, would you say that, you know, and, and that's, I would say that experience you had satisfies that, uh, to some degree satisfies well, so, that, uh, so that, doing it with someone else. Right. But, yeah, we, but, but that's not formal though. That's not weightlifting formal, but that's not necessarily what, the education part. That's the no, experience part. No. And it's not even like the, like my formal weightlifting coaching educate, like coaching a team where they, we practice every day. I'm currently doing that. I've been yeah. doing that for the past six months. And before that, all my exposure was teaching beginners, having personal clients, and so on and so forth. And now I have this team, and I've been doing remote stuff forever too. But I have this team, and it's a practice every day, and it's different. I, it's hard to explain, but it's just yeah. different. So like we're all in, all we care about is our total. Mm-hmm. All anyone cares about is their total. All anyone wants to do is do what the program says perfectly. I can now look at someone and be like, you know, you didn't do that right. You know, you didn't, you didn't do that right. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then we'll do it better. Like you can't really say stuff like that to someone who has no intentions to better their total. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to ask if you think that, if you feel that, that, uh, that process of, of, kind of being forced to do the, uh, you know, it doesn't sound derogatory to the people you were coaching, but you're doing the shittiest work. You, you, you know what I mean? You're, you're in there coaching total beginners, people that have no interest in being a better weightlifter, but they're, they're grinding away. Um, and this is something that I've, I, this is something I believe as a, as a person, especially a, a business owner and even more so as a coach, you have to be willing to do the shittiest job that exists in your field, in your profession, in your business without hesitation and with a smile on your face. And if that for means, free. for yeah, of course for free, uh, if that means that you're going to go coach 
you know, at seven o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night or 6 a.m. or 4 a.m., the, the shit class that you don't want to go teach and you'd get up with a smile and you go and do it? Or are you going to go and scrub the toilets because no one else is doing it? You're going to clean up the little stuff. It's like all those little shitty jobs. If yeah. you don't even have that sense, you're not going to make you're not going to make it very far anywhere. Um, and so that's one of those things where I feel like that's a that's simply a baptism to get you involved in. Like uh, I, I say this a lot, and this is probably true of coaches, but very true of athletes is that you know if you, it's a poker analogy is that like everybody has to ante up to play the game, right? You, you can't even sit there at the table if you haven't put something down, you haven't put the ante up. And the ante in weightlifting and in weightlifting coaching is working as hard as you possibly can. That just gives you the chance yep. to see what cards you were dealt. So if you don't even have that prerequisite, the prerequisite of I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can, 100%, absolutely as hard as I can at this thing I'm doing, then I'll see if I'm good at it. Then I'll see if I have any ability at it. Because if you're, if you're not even at 100%, you're fucking done. It's over. You're not going to get anywhere. And, and that's where I think most people have never even anteed up the 100%. Most people are in a place as a coach or an athlete where they, you know, you copy and paste a program. You, you train with one person for a month. You steal their program. You sell it to somebody else. You do this. You do that. You, you, you know, I mean, how many times do we see it on the, the whole remote coaching thing on the internet where – Every single person is a great coach. Every single person has got remote coaching programming. Everyone's got this stuff. That's all fine. It's great. It's a capitalist society. Like It's all good stuff. But the reality is, how is it that there are so many exceptional coaches or so many people that have the perfect system or the perfect answer to everything and have never actually produced anyone? Like if you, It's like if you knew how to do it, wouldn't you have done it? This is the... And it's probably just a rant now, but it's the same thing with like the Louis Simmons thing where it's like you write a book about weightlifting and strength training for weightlifting, all this, and tell everyone that you could do it, but you've never fucking done it. And if you could do it, if you could make an Olympic gold medalist, you would have done it. Because if you didn't, you know, I mean, like there's no reason to not do it if you can do it. Yeah. It's a prestigious thing. So it's like it's, well, it takes ten years. Well, it it's he you know, can't it's, he it's can't like, do it. So there's no it's just well, saying yeah, I it. Mean, even if he could, the investment is beyond his perception, and that's yeah. basically that's basically like that's the whole thing. Is there's an investment? Everything that we do, even as as like even when I lift, like because I'm currently pushing myself as hard as I fucking can. You know, I just mm -hmm. got back from session one today. I'm going to go back to the gym for session two. Every day I, sometimes I'm like, I feel like shit today. Like I'm a shitty weightlifter, but I don't, it's hard for me to fathom that. Like maybe one day I'll be snatching 10 kilos more than this. And it might not be next year. It might be two, three, four years down the road. Humans can't comprehend that shit. And so in order for someone to to produce an Olympic athlete, to produce an Olympian, to produce a, a, an incredible weightlifter, they have to have some sort of understanding that like there will never be proof until there's proof. There will never be a time where, you, you know, until it's done, yeah. you, you, you have to, you have to put in effort 
not knowing the future, but you have to put in that maximal effort every time, every single time. Um, this is kind of like, I guess I can go into my yeah formal statement here because this is a nice little segue. Um, and, and a lot of what I'm going to say is very similar, but it's, I'd say it's a little bit more optimistic in the, <laughs> steps that I, in the steps that I take, right? Because here's the, here's the truth of it, Max is like, I'm a, I'm a coach with, uh, well, I have one national level lifter. I'm hopefully we'll have two. Uh, and then, you know, I'm helping you out with a couple guys too, but like, I, you know, I don't have much to my name, but I, I have an understanding of what I want to do, you know, five to 10 years from now in this sport. And like, here's the, the, the thing, here's the thing that I always tell people, like, we'll just see how it shakes out. Cause I know I'll be here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone to anyone who ever doubts you or hates you or anything like that. Cool. Like we'll see who's here in the end. Cause, cause like I'm not leaving. So like, if you can keep hating for five to 10 years, like, damn, good job. But like when you decide to forget about weightlifting for a few years and just be like, ah, yeah, that was a little phase of mine. I'm still going to fucking be here. That's my plan. So like, you know, like that, that's one, that's, that's one of the steps that I have, but I guess I'll start by, by saying my own process started with a failure for sure. Um, and when we were talking about the, the fact that the CrossFit was the shit job for me, that wasn't even close to the shit job that, that I had to work, uh, in collegiate strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was this interview that I sent you yesterday, uh, and it was with James Murphy. He's the lead singer of LCD sound system. And, uh, this band is a is a crazy it's a very famous band but not popular culture famous band they'll headline Lollapalooza and James Murphy can walk off stage and not many people are going to recognize who he is and I was telling you before it's the ultimate way to be famous like being a massive rock star and literally never having the paparazzi give a fuck about you that would be that would be the best life ever but anyways James has this interview um, and in the interview, there's a couple points and, um, really, if you guys get this opportunity, like to, to watch this, definitely watch it. I, I totally forget what it's called. It's just search James Murphy interview on, on YouTube. But, um, in the interview, he, he says, you know, when I was growing up, I was always this precocious kid. I always was told that I was smart and creative. And those were things that I was told and those were traits that I was born with. And so that's like being told you're tall. Congratulations for being hmm. tall. Yeah. You know, those were things that I had no control over being creative and smart. So when I was, I went through school and I thought, okay, I'm creative and smart. I, I should be here. I should be above he all these people. I should be there. I should be there. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Then he got to college. He knew he was interested in music and he ended up dropping out. He ended up dropping out of college entirely and, and not doing anything. Literally, he was like, I was a massive failure. So much, so much of a failure after college that it wasn't even an epic failure, like a failure you can get behind. It was a pathetic decision to do nothing. And the reason he did nothing 
was because of that fact that those two character traits were these things that if he wasn't able to show those things, if he wasn't able to excel and show his character traits that he knew he had, his creativity levels, he knew that he had some sort of talent. If he wasn't able to show those things, he didn't want to do it in mm-hmm. the back of his mind. He was afraid to do anything. And so one day he started just, he, he was 26 years old and he was like, I literally, I, I, I don't know. I have to, to do something like I have to do something. And 26 year old for in our world, like if you graduate college, it's like, all right, buddy, like find your job, find your wife, have kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, 26 years old is relatively old to be like, uh, I should probably do something with my life. And he, um, so he started going to, to like social events and just acting the way he was. Uh, and he started, he, he started a record label with no money. Uh, that that's like starting a weightlifting gym with no money. It's like, you know, that doing something like that with no one knowing who you are is kind of a, a, a pretty big risk, but he was able to, he was able to show the, what he is and who he is, who he is. And he grew a following. He grew the respect of other people and slowly, but surely, you know, he started to make good music and, you know, now here he is, uh, 20 years later and he's known as a very hardworking, successful, dependable guy. And he's like, you guys don't understand. Like I was not that in the least bit. I was a piece of shit. (laughs) <laughs> who did nothing for four years straight. Like a, a genuine piece of shit who didn't work hard for anything in his life. Right? I for know me, what that's like. Right. And, and and honest to God, Max, like that is the only reason why I'm successful. I, I, I had a, um, a huge scholarship to play lacrosse at the University of Vermont, and I ended up having a very underwhelming career there. And the reason I did was because I literally never worked hard in my life. I just showed up and I kicked the shit out of everyone. That's just all I did. Like, didn't matter what sport, didn't matter what it was, I would show up and beat the shit out of everyone. And then I got to college and it was like a bunch of kids who beat the shit out of everyone in high school. Mm-hmm. Right? And all of a sudden my split dodges weren't really that effective because people were like, oh, I know what he's going to do. All of a sudden, all of these things that I used to bank on in high school, you know, my shots, like goalies were eating up my shots. That's like, that never happened. I just scored every time. Yeah. And so my reaction to that was like, well, I mean, it's the system that I'm in. They don't, they don't teach, they don't, we don't practice shooting enough, right? That right there is a response of a fucking pussy, right? They don't they don't allow you to shoot enough. No, you don't go and fucking shoot before practice and shoot after practice. It's that simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. My, then I wasn't producing on offense and I had already created why I hadn't produced on offense. And then my coaches started playing me on as a defensive midfielder. And I, and then I started to kind of go into the coach's office and be like, why aren't you helping me out to be a better athlete? And then my coaches started to not like me. And then I started to not like my coaches. Next thing you know, I'm on the bench. As a, I was a starter as a freshman. I was a top-tier recruit. Now, next thing I know, I'm on the bench. And this happened. And then all I, I graduated college, and I didn't have a fucking job. 
and I had no ability to go out and pursue anything because everything that I had ever done had been created for me. And any time that I had failed, I would blame whoever had created the thing for me. Right. And so this was a major time in my life from 23 or 22 to about 25. I legitimately was in a horrible spot in my life. And um, throughout that entire time, weightlifting was the one thing that it was like, well, it doesn't really fucking matter what your situation is, who surrounds you. You either lift the weight or you don't. Mm. There's three numbers. Like, shut up. That's it. You're so fucking lucky. All you have to do is gain, make these three numbers go up. Like, that's the greatest thing in the world. There's no excuse. You just fucking go and lift. Like, in lacrosse, I can blame... 50 other different things i could blame the university i could blame my parents i could blame every- it's like no no you can't blame anyone for not snatching and clean and jerking more it's amazing and so in that sense i was like oh man like i love this and i started to basically snatch clean and jerk squat every day um for about a year and a half and i started to dream and like uh i started to like look at myself in the mirror and snatch at home like I would, I would, I would like everything I did. I was thinking about weightlifting. I couldn't sleep at night because I I was thinking about weightlifting. It was just, I don't know why I did that. It just was something that I started to do. I got into strength and conditioning. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put my head down and just fucking grind. I remember, um, taking, I remember meeting all of the coaches the first day at Northwestern, which was an unpaid internship my uh, my grandma had to basically give me a, a monthly stipend. Uh, my grandma recently passed away, but it was kind of like, it was kind of like, um, I don't know. It, I think it was like six thousand dollars for for six months, which was mm-hmm. pretty great. Wow, which was pretty great. Like she was, you know, she she decided to pay for it, um, and I was able to kind of live off that and and I lived in my at my girlfriend's she paid rent so that's what I did so every day I woke up at 5 15 I made it to the gym at around 5 45 started preparing for the 6 45 lift and that was it that's what I did every day and then I, I met the baseball uh strength and conditioning coach and this was the first week he had just been hired and he's like yeah, man, baseball practices on Saturdays or, or they, they get in the they do weights on Saturdays. Uh, af- I think it's before their games. A lot of times baseball players lift before games, which is kind of cool. Um, or they'll lift after games. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll just come to those. And, um, <laughs> you know, no intern in the history of Northwestern had ever been like would even consider coming on Saturdays. Yeah. Never. And the only reason I did it was to just be like, I want this guy to think that I'm the best. There's four other interns. I want this guy to think, holy shit, Zach just came on a Saturday. And so (laughs) I remember like, I remember on Friday, I was like, Hey, Steven, uh, do you, do you want me to come, uh, to, to the lift tomorrow? He's like, dude, you said you were going to come. So you're coming. I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Uh, all right. And then from there on out, I went every Saturday 
and then now Steven's my mentor and I'm going, I'm going to be in his wedding, uh, this weekend. Yeah. And so, and, and it's, it's interesting how that shit pans out, you know, like, yeah, you know, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff is like, it's, it's that whole hundred percent thing where, um, you know, it's like, uh, are you putting in every single piece of effort, every single ounce of effort you can? And, and I think people see that misconstrue the idea of effort as being, oh man, I go in and I work really hard for a short period of time. I, I train really hard. I go in and I put a lot of, I squat and I yell and, 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 you know, I'm enthusiastic Monday through Friday. Uh, the hundred percent, the, especially in coaching and learning that stuff is like, you have to basically just keep, it's a war of attrition. It's like, you just keep investigating and trying and learning and showing up and showing up. You know, it's like, I, I could care less about the person that has a clever idea or a, a, you know, I mean, ideas are fucking worthless. They have no value. Knowledge has no value. None of those things are worth anything to anyone. Um, there's no, there's no stock market for ideas. There's a stock market for businesses. Businesses are the execution of ideas. So none of that stuff is, it has any value, but you have to keep pursuing it and keep attacking it day in, day out, so that you can eventually be the person who executes on that stuff. If you can't show up early to every single appointment, if you can't show up to a coach's you know, uh, uh, seminar or this or that, if you can't put the extra effort in all the time and the effort is the execution in this case, you're not going to get, you're not going to get as much out of it and somebody else is. And so, you know, I think it's, it's tough for people to, it's tough for people to, to put those pieces together. That effort is not just intensity. It's, it's the day in day out stuff. I hate the word grind despite always wearing a shirt that says grind on it. I just hate the idea. It's, it's just normal. It's just, if you yeah. want to get good at something, you got to do it a lot. You got to try a lot. Well, uh, here's, here's a trick to that. Okay. It's not one weird trick. Here you go, guys. Well, well, I don't, I don't like, yeah, this is, this is the trick that, uh, who hates this doctors or <laughs> Doc you know what I mean? like doctors, the, doctors hate him for this yeah, one weird trick. Trainers, Rich people hate him for this one weird trick because everyone gets rich when they hear it. No, you think about we're it like making this. millionaires. Think about it like this. People in uh, basic training in the army. Now, this is going to sound crazy. Something we both but, have a lot of experience with. Yes, <laughs> but they're not they're not working hard. They, they if you don't work hard. Yeah, you're a fucking outcast. Right. Like. You have no option but to work hard because if you right. don't, you are fucked. Well, it's and also the whole system is set up to bring everybody through, right? right. I, I well, think but, people but forget like, that, right? It's it's not a if it not you know no one they're not all out there voluntarily doing that to themselves regardless of who's in front of them. You have people literally paid and and assigned to motivate you and push you through and drive you through whether you want to or not. But you're in a situation where you eat, sleep, and breathe your training. Mm -hmm. There is no, there is no other thought process. It's not like you know when I when I like, and when I say that, that people in PT aren't working hard, I mean it in the sense like there's no other like they're not not. It's like 
there's no other option but to work at this level because if you don't, you're you're fucked and everyone's going to yell at you and like you're going to be punished for it, right? So it's not like, oh man, that guy works really hard. It's like, no, we all better be doing what we need to fucking be doing or else some shit's going to happen here. And so in my opinion, it wasn't like going on Saturday was me putting in effort and working mm-hmm. hard. It was like, well, I got fucking nothing else to do. What, what else do I have to do? What is my excuse? What is my excuse for not going in on Saturday? Honest to God. Yeah. Like, and and it, if I think about that excuse, like, oh, I want to sleep in. Oh, I need to have time with my friends. It's like, then you pick that over having success. And that's totally fine for some people. Yeah. You know, and here's the, here's the, the thing that I want to get at with collegiate strength and conditioning was that it, I didn't end up working out for me, right? Even though I put in years of hard work, it yeah. didn't end up working out for me. And I remember this point where I looked at my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, I looked her in the eye and I said, like, I don't, I don't see myself as being, as being a successful person. And that was the one point where it's like, I felt like James Murphy did uh, when he was 26 years old and he's talking to a psychologist and he says, I don't want to live the life that I'm living. Like when I told her that, I said, I, I literally cannot envision myself being successful. That was the moment in time where everything started to go up for me. Right? Like that was the moment in time where I basically said, you know what? Fuck trying to be successful or have or trying to be great. Just focus on the things that you have and excel. And and everything started working out. I focused on my wife. I focused on my family. I lived in Texas, which is just a nice sunny state with a bunch of really nice people. I had a car. I had a dog. I had enough money to eat. I was honestly like, what the fuck could I complain about? And so I had some interests, you know, oh, Zach, what are you good at? Well, I used to coach weightlifting all the time. Okay, make a video. I made a video. It got a bunch of views. I made another video. And then I did that for two years. And now I have 55,000 subscribers. Uh And it was never, there was never a point where it was like, I want to be a good YouTuber. It was like, no, no, no. I just want to be a good boyfriend you know now husband i want to be a good brother son i just want to be a a better person and and treat my every day like a like a blessing and then we'll see what shakes out yeah i think that that's a a, you know this is something that we talk about a lot and and that i think is something i've really changed my my opinion not changed my opinion but gravitated to a lot and and especially as a coach and and this would kind of i'll give a little quick summary of like the steps i would approach to becoming a good coach so someone can actually walk away from this thinking that there maybe is a process With tangible yes so i have i have a couple tangible i would steps, say by that the way, guys <laughs> that my my steps would be that the first thing you should do is is you need to participate in the sport as an athlete and, and push yourself as far as you can the two reasons for this are, one, you have to understand what it's like to actually do that. The ups and downs emotionally, the actual competition, the training, you have to understand it at least, uh, you know, 
having done it with the intent of wanting to be good at it, not just I did it for six months to prove that I did this because Max said it on a podcast. And the other reason is that uh, it's it's if you can't put yourself in that place of wanting to be very good and and exhausting yourself to get there, how are you ever going to be able to do that with somebody else? If you can't even conceive of that as an existence, um, then you know it's it's not going to work. The second step, I would say, is that once you've done that, or in addition to doing that, um, take a lot of time and a lot of uh, devote a lot of time to reading and learning and trying to understand. Call people, ask other coaches, spend time with other coaches. Be willing to sacrifice and offer what you can in exchange for information and help and coaching, and you know, in addition to that, give credit where it's due. If you spent 16 months with uh, a coach and you learn a lot from them, then, you know, return the favor, help them, assist them, do what you can. There's a lot of coaches that would do a ton for, for, for an intern, for, for all these things. So build up that formal education, get under multiple people, formulate opinions based on them and learn to have a discussion, learn to actually participate in the process. And then the third thing Probably after those two things have been satisfied, uh, and maybe somewhat while they are, coach people and and coach a lot of really a lot of people like in that range those fringe people don't start coaching top level athletes. Coach the the I don't want to say the worst athletes you can, but coach the people that are outside the norm, outside the realm of of you know if you coach you know, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old kids, and you're bad at it, you're a fucking asshole because you could literally waste their entire career on bad coaching. Um, you should start from the top down. So work with master's athletes. Work with people that are doing it recreationally as a hobby, people that are less interested in the competitive aspects. Build your reputation and skills up doing that, more your skills than reputation. And, and as you do this you'll get better and better. As you get better and better, coaching more and more people, you move down the ranks from masters and, and hobbyist types to people that are, are competitive and in their you know, 20s and 30s you know, that, are, that are lifting at national level meets. Coach them up. Keep progressing. Focus on, on doing a better and better job. If you feel and you have an interest and you've done your, your you've educated yourself and you feel competent enough, then start working with younger kids. The biggest mistake you could make is starting with youth kids and thinking that you're going to be be doing something good for them in the future if you do a poor job of coaching. And it's not just that you that you do you know bad technique or bad programming or something. It's everything there can fall apart quickly. The most experienced coaches should be coaching kids. the The final step and the final thing I would say it needs to be applied to all of these steps in becoming a good coach is focus entirely on the process not on the objective, not on the goal. Your whole, your whole mindset should be about doing the absolute best job you can for uh, at whatever task you're working at. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're coaching someone in snatches, that moment, you should be trying to do the absolute best job you can. When you coach people on technique, make sure you have them do it correctly. Uh, you know, letting them get one shitty rep or two shitty reps in is not going to help them. You know, do what's right. Do the best job you can uh, 
at, at the things you're doing, right? Uh, and then the process itself will take hold and you repeat that over and over and over and over again, you're going to have success. So I'm kind of angry at you because those points are literally, I, I think almost entirely my points. The one difference would be the education one. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have it in there, but yes, please go get educated. But you like, it was funny that you said to train because I, on my bullet point, I have written down here. If you can't fathom, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you can't fathom training hard, then like you really need to rethink about, you really need to rethink about what you want to do in weightlifting. You know, one way um, I always looked at that. And, oh, sorry. And you literally, you literally said that, but yeah, go on. <laughs> one way I always looked at it, which was so funny to me is why would I hire a person who gave up on themselves? If you were an athlete and you were like, oh, you know what? I coached, I did weightlifting for six months or three years or whatever. And I got to a point and I just got tired of it and I moved on or whatever, or I didn't do it or, you know, a million reasons. Why the fuck would you want to hire somebody who gave up on themselves? If they gave up on themselves, they're going to give up on you. It's just the yeah. way it is. Now, that yeah. don't don't think that because someone was a coach or was a lifter for 6 months or 7, you know, whatever, 2 years and they were they, you know, they didn't do well that they gave up on themselves. Somebody may just not have the talent. The numbers are not as relevant as the effort and the process you know, you, you grab a coach or you find a coach who, who didn't hit huge numbers doesn't mean they weren't trying their hardest or doing the best. In fact, those coaches are more than likely the better ones because they know how shitty they were and they tried everything they could to get better. Yeah, um, they innovate. Right. The, the person who's, you know, walks in the gym and is snatching American records off the, you know, within two years is probably not going to be able to relate to somebody who's not making progress after, you know, we'll just go heavier or whatever it is. Right. Um, it, it's almost, it's almost like a cliche at this point in time, but you understand that like, I never understood why somebody would want to hire someone who, who at some point just gave up or who, who only did it for a short period of time. Yeah. So like, you know, it, the, the, the whole training part too, like I don't really believe that you have to be a very successful either national or international lifter to be a coach. It's more of a, it's training. It's, 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 it's an extension of who you are as a person. It really says more about you as a person when you look at the way someone trains to what they say sometimes. Um, and how hard they're willing to push themselves within themselves. It, it's a telltale sign to how they're going to be as a coach. You also can gain a lot of knowledge about your sport. It's just like you're consistently testing different things. Oh, I'm going to think about this cue. Oh, I'm going to think about that cue. What did it do for me? Oh, this person's having the same problem. Hey, try this cue. Try that cue mm -hmm. that I've already tried 3,000 times. <laughs> like it just makes sense. Yeah. So go train. Number two for me is find clientele and do it for free. And that was actually you said that yeah. one as well. Right. But this is an easy and I'll, I'll give you guys literally descriptive steps. Everyone has a friend out there. And if you're if you post videos of you doing snatching and clean and jerking and your friend says, hey, that sounds kind of cool. Teach me. OK, teach them. Right. Say that you have some friends who are snatching and clean and jerking with you. You go up to them and you say, would you guys want me to program for you? 
and honest to God, more often than not, if these kids aren't following any program or whatever, if they're even if they're buying templates online, honest to God, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, because this will set a, your relationship up to be more than just a bullshit friend type of relationship. When you are coaching someone that you're friends with, it's really fun. Like it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a different type of relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so for those people, like find that friend and say, Hey, can I coach you? Do you trust me with your programming? Cause if you're good enough and you think that you have the guts to do it and your friend trusts you, there you go. You have a client and then yeah, you can jut in if you want. One thing I actually found in, in my time was that, uh, and I'm not trying to contradict your point, but uh, something I learned is that when there's money on the line, if you charge people for your service, if you charge to coach them, you're going to get way better at it, way faster, because as soon as people have a value associated with what you're doing, and you do a oh, sh- yeah. and you do a shitty job, they will stop paying you. And, well, and not only that, they can they can say shitty things about you. Well, it's also I mean, yeah, that would be the second, but more importantly is that as soon as there's an a, an arrangement of business that you're charging somebody to coach them, even if it's a small amount, you know, if you're not a great if you're not a coach who's produced anyone, you can't charge them the same that somebody who is producing someone, you know, uh, you know, you, you charge less, you charge whatever that is appropriate for your time and, and the work that's going in, but mm-hmm. you charge them, then you set up the establishment that if they don't get where they're going, you're not providing it. It's very, very easy to not charge people and then to blame the athlete over and over again. You see this all the time with young coaches and so, a lot of coaches. Okay. Well, let me clarify yeah. then, because this is like a very micro scale. So like literally, if you want to coach for one person, I would still charge. And it's, interesting. Oh, because because it sets everything up to be in that in that framework that, uh, you know, if, if I don't do a good job, they're not going to pay me. And that's yeah. that's that's how you okay. that's that how you sense. really quickly learn. Holy shit! The the program that I read that the Bulgarians did in 1986 that I'm giving to this guy who's 35 years old and has uh you know a shoulder impingement. It's fucking killing him, and he's not getting any better. And he's like, "This is a waste of my hundred and fifty bucks a month. Fuck this guy. I'm out of here." You learn well, really so, quickly. That's not a very good strategy. So you, well, Max, I think I think that that actually would, if you could explain that to the the client, it would actually work. I mean, if you said, "Hey, listen, you know, I know I don't have any clients or much experience, but yeah, if if I charge you, it's on me." Yeah, well, it's, so yeah, we, it's on both of them know, too, right? Yeah, and, and you can literally say that to the person. Like, hey, you know, I not only do you owe me money, but now I owe you progress. And if I don't give it to yeah. you, that's on me yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I guess I, I would actually agree with that. It's ta- taking that. taking ownership of the process. Taking and again, ownership that, of it all. that cost can be 50 bucks. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lot. Yeah. Or it could be like, yeah, 50 bucks. $6,000 a week. <laughs> so um, you know that there are some like uh, some celebrity coaches that – like for, for for people in LA that charge like two fifty an hour. Oh, I've heard I've heard insane numbers, thousands of yeah. dollars. A lot of that's paid by like agents, right? That's really the job I we should probably be. Well, Chris I'll see Chris you in LA, Chris Hemsworth and Robert Downey Jr. probably need to learn how to snatch and clean and jerk for the next I mean, uh, superhero movie. So I should probably I should probably head down there. 
I'm sure it's a really easy field to get into as well. I think so, too. There's not a lot of people doing it, you know? You, you do have to be attractive, <laughs> Max, so sorry to break it to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard no. It's a hard no. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I, they're gonna take one look at me and be like, "We were gonna hire, we were gonna hire, uh, we we're gonna hire have, Robert Kennedy Jr." Seen but some of these trainers, dude? but his trainer was just fucking ugly. Yeah, these trainers <laughs> are just like hot dudes with abs and like yeah. the perfect amount of chest hair. Okay, so here's the the third one, right? And this is the most important one, and I love this. When you get your lifters, treat them like they're fucking Team China. Like they're Lu Zhaojun. Walk in and treat your lifters. You are blessed. You are privileged to now have someone who will listen to you and who will allow allow themselves to be coached by you. So treat that with respect. Treat that relationship with respect. I say every day is the Super Bowl. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your lifters are, you know, grown ass men who can hardly snatch sixty kilos. Great. Get them better at it. It's your job now. Like, take some fucking pride in it. That, honest to God, because here's the deal. Here's what's happening, Max, and this is what I'm learning. There's someone out there who's being a lazy bitch. There's some coach out there who's doing something lazily, who's not pushing themselves, who's not educating themselves, who's not putting out good content, who's not, you know, treating their lifters with the utmost respect and and doing the best that they can. That person, because they're, not doing the most that they can, you can now jump up and be a better coach. You can be known as a better coach. I mean, at the end of the day, when we say success, it comes with the clout of being like, oh, fucking Max Ada, he's a good coach. You know why? Because he produces good lifters. And that's something that people can look at, but your process from that is just what you've said before. Work your ass off and push yourself. Like, I have this written down kind of under every day is the Super Bowl. Be aggressive, you know, like go out and be aggressive with your lifters, like look them in the eyes and be like, hey, this is what we should work on. This is like this. This aspect of your lift is not so good. We have a process in place. It may or may not work, but I'm here. I'm watching you. I'm going to make sure you're doing it. So on and so forth. That's the sort of thing that like athletes and lifters will if you look them in the eyes and you have that conversation with them, they'll never leave your side. You know what I mean? That was another thing you taught me that that term having a conversation, right? Like that is so valuable to, to for a coach and athlete um, relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like look, like treat them with respect and look them in the eye and talk to them and, and have this back and forth with them. This like, consistent communication and you'll always be successful in that sense you'll always have people that look up to you that will treat you with respect that's good it's all good shit yep all right guys that's going to be the end of this podcast we went a little bit longer that was an hour so shit you just lost three thousand followers so now i'm at negative one thousand hit the unsubscribe button because that's too long you guys, your free podcasts are not what you asked for. This fucking podcast sucks, dude. I'm not paying for this anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
This podcast is horseshit. I just I just listened to that whole hour long podcast and I was fucking tired of it by minute three. I'm so pissed I wasted this time, Zach. Oh God, when I was filling out my Excel spreadsheets at <laughs> in my cubicle. <laughs> I I was expecting it to be thirty nine and a half minutes and it was and it's now now we're going on an hour. I missed my lunch break. Fuck you guys. I think we're still right. re- we're still recording. Yeah, I know. We're still Okay. Uh, yeah, guys, this will be up on the Training Make Podcast YouTube channel. It's really cool. Um, I have an editor. His name's Alex. You can talk some shit on the comment section. Um, but he puts together these really cool videos uh, and puts a lot of stuff in the background. So, for instance, like if you don't know what LCD sound system is, he'll probably put a video of that that on there so he's got his work cut out for him every week but i love him and i thank him for that so go check that shit out also follow max on instagram because um he never posts there you might uh, i'm thinking about putting a post up in the next couple weeks here just getting getting it ready okay good uh and follow me on instagram coach underscore zt and then also dm me thoughts and ideas that you have i'm always I'm always willing to, to listen. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll we'll get back to you guys, I don't know, at the end of this week, maybe next week. It's going to at least be weekly from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're thinking of different formats. But, yeah, that's it, guys. Thank you so much.